Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. Happy New Year to everyone out there, and thanks for tuning in. This week, we bring you an interview with three members of Soul Rebels, a New Orleans-based brass ensemble that includes elements of soul, jazz, funk, hip-hop, and more. I got to talk to Lamar LeBlanc, Julian Gossin, and Marcus Hubbard about growing up immersed in New Orleans music, how they formed Soul Rebels, and how they've kept it going for nearly 30 years. We also talked about their evolution, as they've always sought to go beyond the traditional New Orleans brass band, and it's really worked. They've collaborated with Katy Perry, Nas, Metallica, Pretty Lights, Marilyn Manson, and many others, which has helped keep the band fresh and creative. After the interview, you'll hear a great live performance from Soul Rebels. And as always, there's a Spotify playlist for this episode in the show notes. And in this new year, we want to ask you a quick favor. This is our second season of the show, and we're having a lot of fun. We hope you are too. If you enjoy what we do here, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show, and we appreciate you helping to spread the word. And before we get into the show, I want to tell you once again about Sunset Lake CBD, our sponsor. If you listen to the show, you know by now that I use their CBD products every day. Gummies, dark roast coffee, tinctures, and now it's part of my daily wind-down routine. I honestly think I sleep better because of Sunset Lake. Give it a try and get 15% off your first order when you go to sunsetlakecbd.com and enter the promo code PPFL15. Now let's get into this conversation with Lamar, Julian, and Marcus of Soul Rebels. All right, I'm here with Lamar, Julian, and Marcus from Soul Rebels. Thanks for joining, guys. Uh, how you doing, man? Oh, I know, man. Well, how you doing? We always like to start these conversations by asking if you have an earliest musical memory. Lamar, do you want to kick it off and then Julian and Marcus can go? Well, I always tell people I was playing the bongos in kindergarten at a nursery school, Bottery Nursery, uh, in the Seventh Ward of New Orleans on Columbus Street off of Miro. They had a play that they would do, a graduation type play with a graduation ceremony that they would do for every class. And I had to play a couple of roles, but one of them that stuck for sure was uh, me playing the bongo drums. And something just clicked. Some children play sports, they stick with it. But for some reason, the drum and I began a relationship then that that's to this day. You know, your passion finds you. You don't find it if it's a true passion. So that's my earliest memory, playing on that stage. I kept those bongos, too, up until Katrina. They were in the attic. That's remarkable, man. But, uh, yeah, that was that was my earliest memory. Let's see. I remember, I remember in seventh grade, my first year of, of junior high school, and this was actually my second year playing trumpet. I started in sixth grade. So seventh grade, yeah, but I, I picked it up pretty fast. So I get to seventh grade and, um, you know, I was kind of an advanced player early on, but I had a lot of trouble with this tune called Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson. Oh, yeah. And that song, it kind of kicked my ass, but I had to reach out to 
a close family friend. And, uh, you know, I had the, the record. I was listening to the tune on the record. So it was hard to rewind the record to get the vibe of the song. But uh, I remember reaching out to him. He definitely helped me with that. Um, God rest his soul, he passed away. He was a trumpet player from New Orleans. Um, but I remember that song vividly to this day, Tears of a Clown, Smokey Robinson. So, yeah. My earliest memory as far as music is I had an older brother. He actually played trumpet before me. And I used to look at him practice a lot in the house. And, you know, it was something that he wanted to do. But like Lamar said, he could tell it really wasn't his true passion. You know, it was something he, you know, being in New Orleans, being at the marching band is a big thing. You know, it was something that he kind of wanted to get involved with. And I had a cousin of mine that was a little older than both of us, and he was doing it. So it was something that he decided he wanted to get into. And I used to watch him practice on it and, you know, look at his frustration dealing with it. And after a while, he kind of sat it down and, you know, I just picked it up. Every once in a while when he was playing, I used to try to pick it up every once in a while. And I always can get a note out. So I always was like, man, this might be something I can do. But I always liked like messing with it. You know, music, I always loved hearing music. My mom and dad used to always play different music in the house from reggae to jazz, R&B, whatever it was, you know. So I've always grown up hearing music in the house a lot. So being able to play a musical instrument was, was just a natural gravitation. I always had a piano in the house. For some reason, I never really wanted to touch that till I got older. But the trumpet seemed like I fell in love with that from Jump Street as soon as I started playing so I was last um, in New Orleans in January. We we actually did a, a podcast series on the Jazz Fest. So I got to come down there and sit down with, you know, Ivan and people who you guys know, you know, Ivan Neville and Anders Osborne and, and a lot of other people. And one of the questions I ask people is like, what is it like to grow up in a city that's like defined by music? I mean, I guess you wouldn't know because you didn't grow up anywhere else, but like, were you guys surrounded by music all the time? And did you feel like music was just going to be part of your life no matter what? Or was it ever a choice to do something else? Well, like you said, New Orleans is definitely a city where music is always all around you. It's just from jazz bands and brass bands you hear hearing going out in the street or Mardi Gras with the marching bands and always hearing that New Orleans is the birthplace of jazz and everything. So it's, music, it was always something that was around you. So at some point, everybody at least touched upon it one time. Even guys that play sports. And when we were growing up, I had guys that played football, but they all played in the band too. You know, it's just music was something that, you know, always was just something natural to us. Enjoy doing it. It's, just, it's the pulse of the city. It's like everything that New Orleans is about is based around music and food. But the music is the main thing. So it's kind of like in your blood. So it's something even if you want to get away from, you couldn't. Like I said, it's blessed a lot of guys to be able to travel the world. And just getting into it, you always was thinking about, I just want to do this, just playing mainly with the marching band. And, you know, you want to be a guy marching down the street from Mardi Gras. But then you start seeing the other side of it, different guys doing brass bands and just doing it on a professional level. So it's like a natural gravitation from doing it in high school to want to become a professional. Lamar, when you were growing up, did it feel like music was a kind of inevitable path for you? Oh, definitely. Uh, you hit it on the head when you said that you think the whole world is like New Orleans when you're real young because you don't know any better. Uh, music was always around. Uh, some of the, my experience is, is being an older 
member of the band. In my era, Olympia Brass Band was still on the street. So I remember seeing them at a young age and they had a, a, another band. So in the neighborhood I grew up in, different celebrations, you'll actually see a brass band. And then the marching bands would practice every day during the school time, after school. So you always saw that in the neighborhoods. Bell would march around Ursuline Street and John McDonald would march on Durgeon Walk. They couldn't go up Esplanade out soon, but sometimes those two bands would meet and I happened to see that before. So, I mean, it feels organic when you're growing up in New Orleans, but I never had planned on being a professional musician. I, I tell the truth, not at all. I was strictly focused at that time in my life once I got older, going to college, finishing college and, you know, getting a job. But Soul Rebels kind of came and it, it, it was a blessing. But music was always around. I played music my whole life coming up. Julian, what about you? I know in some of the materials, you're described as a younger member of the band. So I know you grew up in a possibly a slightly different time, but feel the same way about the way music was around. I mean, how, how did you think about that growing up? Yeah, uh, it was always around, man. I mean, because when, when I was in school, there was a, a heavy concentration on the arts in the city. Not so much now, but, you know, back way before Katrina, early 90s, late 80s, 70s, the arts was a main component of the New Orleans school system. So, you know, aside from the tradition and culture that the city already embellished, you know, uh, so just going to school, being around family members, going to second lines, not even knowing what a second line was, just going to them. Um, there was always music, you know, your, your daily routine, you would wake up in the morning, you know, you go to the bus stop, you go to school, you come home, but on your way to school, you know, you got kids standing on the corner playing instruments, beating on garbage cans coming home you got kids beating on a bus with drumsticks you know horns on the bus horns at the bus stop after school so it was just a constant you had constant melody throughout your day even if you weren't paying attention you know it was like a it was like an involuntary reaction in a sense music was just there you need to realize it there's no way to get away from it some somebody in your family has some type of musical heritage Lamar, can you tell us a little bit when the Soul Rebels formed? It seems to me like there's got to be hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in New Orleans playing in brass bands, playing in second line, playing with friends and family. First of all, what's the scene like there? And how did you manage to like get a group together that was able to kind of break through among, you know, all the people who were playing music? Yeah, well, uh, definitely music is part of the culture. It's part of the heritage, the soul of the city. So when I came back home from college in 90, they already had the brass band legacy going with the Olympia brass band. And Olympia wanted to pass their tradition on, so they picked some guys to be called the Young Olympia Brass Band. And myself and Derek were actually part of that organization. And from there, so Rebels got started. It came in mostly with the influence of Cyril Neville, from the Neville Brothers, which is a famous musical family from New Orleans. Cyril was real instrumental in uh, taking time with, with the next generation, with a younger generation of musicians, in particular, his own relatives and offspring, you know, nephews and stuff, and, 
and children. And so it just so happened that some of those guys were in Young Olympia. So Cyril was telling us, you know, about the music business. You got to realize with the advent of hip hop becoming more popular and mainstream at that time, young black urban kids were seeing that as a, a potential avenue to be a successful musician. You know, not all everybody can sing like Marvin Gaye or Dinah Ross. So rap and hip hop brought in a whole new entrepreneur element to the game. So Cyril was telling us that. He was like, y'all could kind of flip this thing, utilize some of the current art form that you already love and put it into the tradition. And it really fit us more. It was really something that we were already in tune to because we had grew up in the New Orleans music tradition, more specifically through marching bands, but you can't run from the jazz scene if you're, you know, in any way in the city. And hip hop was a part of us because that was the generation that we were in, in the early parts of hip hop. So that's how the Soul Rebels kind of got started. Milk Baptiste was instrumental too because he got the record deal. <laughs> and through the guidance of Milton and Cyril and our vision, we were able to separate ourselves from just what had already been established, the traditional brass band outfit. Now that's not to say other brass bands weren't aggressive in their interpretation of traditional New Orleans music. Other bands like Rebirth and Dirty Dozen and Olympia had already took the music to where they saw its vision going. But, you know, everything is timing and, and whatever, just our whole look, our persona, our style, was a lot Afrocentric, Black Power, Public Enemy, mixed with the music, Earth, Wind and Fire, Cameo, all that stuff. So that's really what we did. And we were blessed to be given a platform to do it. And Cyril let us open up for him at Tipitina's. And we took off from there. Cyril actually named the band. He gave us the name of Soul Rebels. That's what I read, because you sounded like Musical Rebels is the story. Is that right? Yeah, it comes from Bob Marley, the great one, the great Bob Marley. Uh, Soul Rebels is from his beautiful mind. And we just kind of took the name and blessed that that family lets us use that name, really. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Maybe, Marcus, maybe you could chime in on this. I mean, it feels like New Orleans is such a collaborative place musically. There's so much cross-pollination and collaboration, but there must be competition also to get you know your band you know or your group ahead of others or, or to join groups ahead of other people as you were kind of coming up as a musician did you find it to be more competitive or more collaborative or or how do you see that like you said it's it's a competition but it's more like a fun competition There's a lot of the guys that you in your arrow you went to school with in different bands and stuff like that so it's that's a fun competition, but it's always everybody's trying to figure out a way to create their own identity. And that's the main thing that you try to do. A lot of guys, you know, we study the different guys that came before us, like trumpet players. We like Louis Armstrong. Uh, in my era, a lot of guys like Kermit Ruffin and Wynton Marcellus and stuff like that. But it's, you know, you always had that mindset, how can I create my own identity and what I'm doing? So that's where the competitive part comes in when you're trying to make your own mark out there. And it's, the thing about it in New Orleans, 
you know, as far as getting together with musicians, everybody loves to play. So you can go to different bands, sit in with different bands, and there's all kind of different genres of music. So you have to definitely build your chops up to a point where you can stand in those different areas. You know, you have funk bands in New Orleans, you have uh, like regular jazz bands, you have brass bands, you have, you know, reggae bands. So in order to, to get work and to be respected, you have to be able to do it all. You know, you can't just be a one-trick pony. And I think it helps us for us when we're, you know, creating music. We don't just come from the same mindset of just, all right, I'm going to create one style. We just, we have a mindset, if it feels good, that's all we ask. You know, we're going to do some music that feels good. So from a competitive standpoint, it's just trying to be that person that's constantly being created. You know, and that's like I say, that's the good thing about being in New Orleans, being around different guys from different genres. You know, we tend to push each other, you know, and it's like you have a, a family kind of feel, too. It's like New Orleans against the world for us musicians. When we go places, we're always going to have no problem letting people know that we're from New Orleans because, you know, we love our city and we love what our city has brought to the world so much. So we're, we're always trying to push that to the world like New Orleans is here and we're here to stay. So Lamar, I want to go back to you a little bit because when you're when you're starting up, I know that you guys were combining hip hop and traditional brass and and a lot of other genres, and it sounded like you felt like you had something different. Were, were you always feeling comfortable with that? Were people pushing back on that? Were people saying, "Oh, you got to go back to, you know, playing the classics"? Like, what was that like as you were coming up as a band? How did you balance that between the tradition and the kind of innovative side? Oh no, not at all. I mean, you you don't you don't know it's gonna you know maturate and work out the way things do. You just put your all into it and hope that it works out. I mean, we got tremendous pushback from trying to do music the way we did. We didn't. We just had a, a kind of exactness because of our marching band and concert band training that was different from some of our peers. So we took a a, a lot of criticism. Our uniform uh, is to say they go to, I can't remember, the fatigue guys or the army band or something because we wore army fatigues and now everybody likes to wear fatigue bands. But one of the members at that time, two of the members were in the military, so they kind of came up with that, you know, attire and we fought it out, you know, with a black T-shirt and everything and then we put the black traditional parade hat on so we really <laughs> we really freaked it out but no indeed I didn't we didn't none of us knew it was going to be like this we immediately experienced pushback from the way we came into the brass band game and you can't help but be yourself I mean I, I tell people all the time you got to be who you are for something to truly work out in your full benefit. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about fame. Do something from the heart because I can only be the best representation of Lamar. I don't want to be fully anyone else. I mean, that's not going to work. We all emulate people. That's how we model ourselves. But we really were being who we were. And we got a lot of pushback from it. They felt we were disrespecting the tradition. They felt that the music, they felt, first of all, that we weren't all from their linkage, even though I was 
from the Tremay area, but and some of the other members were from the Neville brothers and families like that. They just felt that we were outsiders, but you know, we were cool guys. We took a lot. We weren't looking to fight or, 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 or like Marcus said, it was a healthy competition in our eyes, even though things did escalate at times, but it was all, you know, brotherly love in the end. And I respect so much uh, Trumbull Shorty's mom, Lois, and his brother, 12, and, and Troy, too, even though he was, you know, just a little child, for accepting us because they accepted us from day one. They let us play in their club and that kind of, Put us in that mix immediately because that's in the heart of the trimming. And you know, it was it was rough, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. The experiences are what they are. They give the lessons as they should be given by the most high. And you know, it turned out well. What do you think it was about the music that that allowed you guys to break through? I mean, it sounds like the authenticity and like you said, staying authentic allowed you to to express yourselves in an authentic way. But musically, what do you think? connected with people so much um, as you were breaking through? I think it was a music that the younger generation could kind of relate to a little more. The brass band community is, is oftentimes real traditional in what their ears want. And that's good because I love second line music to the end. <laughs> and I love playing it and listening to it. But I also love what I do because it's authentically me. But I think it was uh, our music was a little bit more applicable to, let's say, a person who's not fully exposed to the jazz, New Orleans brass band music. I think by the way we did it, we were able to kind of cross over a little bit. It took a while, you know, because like I say, you even have young people who listen to brass band music and still want the way they heard it, you know, from the more traditional stylish funk stylish bands, but I think our music was just a little bit more uh, applicable to a younger generation, a little bit more commercial, and it's just something that the average listener could be like, listen to and say, damn, brass band could do it that way. I think that's what our niche was. Marcus, how did you come to join the band? What was your journey kind of getting to that point? Well, it was funny, man. I used to always come around when they used to play at Donna's Bar and Grill on Friday. And uh, I had a friend of mine named Kevin Lewis, a uh, trumpet player. He used to always, he was a big fan of him. He was playing with different brass bands. And I hadn't even joined the brass band community at that time. But he was trying to get me involved in it. So he figured, man, let me, if I show him a few bands, this might be something he might be interested in. So he brought me to Donna's Bar and Grill. And we were in high school. I wasn't even old enough to even get in there. So we were actually standing outside listening to him. And like Lamar said, a lot of the styles of the music that they played was more into what I was into. Like they, they mixed the marching band vibe with the, the uh, brass band vibe. And at that time, I was still a more hardcore marching band guy. So to hear brass band kind of flip uh, what I like doing into a brass band style, I automatically was like, if I do get into it, this is something I would probably want to do. So later on, I ended up going to uh, Southern University, and I was doing different little brass band gigs and stuff out there, but a friend of mine was telling me that Soul Rebels had an opening on trumpet. Uh, guy Winston Turner was a trombone player with Soul Rebels at the time, and he was like, they have an opening on trumpet. And, uh, you know, would you be interested in it? And I was like, yeah, man, I definitely would. You know, if any band I would love to join is Soul Rebels. 
So I went down uh, one Friday, checked them out at Donna again, sat in. At that time, I didn't know any of the songs. So I really just was sitting in, uh, playing what I did know. You know, at that time, you know, Soul Rebels always was a band that didn't play what everybody else was playing. So it wasn't like you can just say, I'm going to just learn all the Soul Rebel tunes and play that. The only way you could learn a Soul Rebel tune at that time, you had to be in the band. You know, at that time, they had, what, one, maybe two CDs out at the time. But they played a lot of different music, you know, the marching band tunes and stuff like that. So I was able to get in on a few of those. But it was, like you said, different of a learning curve. And the good thing about it was a band that I felt fit the vibe and fit my personality on what I wanted to do musically. And that's the big thing I think that makes Soul Rebel what it is, is a band that's not really trying to do what everybody else is doing. It's basically a collaboration of the vibes of all the musicians that's in the band at the time. And I kind of felt the vibe of the band fit the vibe that I wanted to be a part of. So it was something I definitely was happy to get involved in. It's interesting to me that what Lamar was saying about some people come from these different neighborhoods and some neighborhoods are more known for, you know, the brass kind of heritage. Did that change over time or was that still the case as you were kind of coming up in the in the ranks? Oh, when I got in the band, it was basically the same thing. You got One thing you got to realize, too, when I got in the band, they had just released a CD called No More Parade, which really, which really kind of rubbed a lot of the people in the brass band community the wrong way. And I think a lot of it was from them not really understanding what the band meant when they said No More Parade. Uh, you know, you figure everybody took that as a jab, as Soul Rebels was taking a jab at the uh, brass band community and not uh, feeling they above that and all of that. But it was really about the band just wanting to say that we want to be more of a stage act versus a marching band. So the No More Parades thing was something that was going on at the time. So when we still were doing a few little parades at that time, I, I kind of felt a little bit of it, you know, when we were out there, like a lot of people were like, they're not quote unquote this. Rebird or the different other bands that were doing their thing, you know, one thing about these these college guys, you know, like you say, guys not actually from that neighborhood. So it was it was it was funny, but like I said, it never was really nothing bad. I'm gonna say that, like I said, it was just that fun competition, and I enjoyed it. You know, being from the marching band, you're always in a competition with the other bands, you know, in the different schools and stuff like that. So I looked at it as a fun opportunity. And I, it was a good band to be involved in with doing it. You know, the band, like you said, was doing something different. So nobody couldn't say, all they're doing is copying this and copying that. It was a completely unique band. And that's the main thing I loved about it. You know, they were doing something totally different from everybody else. Julian, what about you when you joined? How did you first discover the band? And, and how did you come to be part of the group? I first discovered the band, I would say, maybe late 90s like around 97 98 i think by that time the song let your mind be free was probably one of the most popular uh, brass band songs in the city and i could just always remember soul rebels in the place to be so you know just just doing research and at that time there weren't many brass bands and i found out that band was soul rebels so uh you know super popular song um Started taking a liking into them around high school, around my freshman year, when I started getting a lot more involved in jazz. 
you know, I made a transition from jazz. I mean, from marching band to jazz my freshman year. Like my freshman year was pretty much my last year of marching band. After that, it was kind of like straight jazz. So, uh, you know, time went on. One of my close friends I grew up with, Trombone Shorty. Um, so I got kind of immersed in the culture a lot through him. He would take me into Treme, you know, uh, when we were kids and um, got a chance to meet Tuba Fats. We would hang out, um, met some other younger musicians in the neighborhood. So I kind of got a taste of what it was like being a professional musician at a young age. Although I wasn't quite there yet, I still got a taste of it from, you know, getting his knowledge and his tutelage. So, uh, you know, we go back right after Katrina. I remember the Le Bon Ton was kind of like the place to be. This was like 2006, 2007, you know, and I was in college. And um, at that time I was playing with another band in the city, but the vibe and the feel of the Soul Rebels felt more like me, my spirit, you know, from the music they played, from the way they dressed, from the way they interacted with the crowd, from the type of crowd they were drawing. You know, it was, it was very, um, it was very unique, um, very contemporary. It was like in and out. It was the happening spot in New Orleans at the time. And, and to, to see a brass band have that impact on people, you know, it was like, damn, all right, these these dudes really, you know, they really kind of like taking the game and and flipping it because you know the perception of a brass band from most New Orleanians or most people are just they're just that right. They just do you know second lines. They just do birthday parties. They come in at the end of the wedding and they're gone. And you know, so the Soul Rebels kind of took that traditional base but flipped it. And I kind of got to see that live every Thursday at Le Bon Ton. Then, you know, sometimes they would go on Frenchman, the Blue Nile, Cafe Brazil. Um, so I got to got to get a little bit of a little bit of it, you know, from every a couple of venues in the city. But, you know, they were always welcoming and open to some of the guys sitting in. And there's not too many uh, bands in New Orleans that are open to that, you know. So they will always, you know, invite the younger cats to come up and play, you know. It didn't matter who you were. If you were a musician, you had your horn, your instrument, they would always invite you out to play. So, you know, it started to be a reoccurring thing. Every Thursday, you know, I would just have my horn, you know. I'm, I would figure somebody was would say, go get your horn, you know, and just sit in. And that's kind of how the relationship got built. Um, then, you know, some other things happened along the way. Uh, I started to fill in for one of the other former members who had a, you know, full-time job. So they would call me to fill in you know, just to fill in, like go on a little two day road trip or three day road trip or even some local stuff. They would just call me to fill in. And uh, mind you, there were no practices. There were no band practice. So you just had to like learn on the spot, you know? So that was kind of the beauty of it as well. You know, the way they went about learning the music. Um, we we have a little bit more structure now, <laughs> but uh, back then it was kind of just like, you know, your musicianship would take you to wherever you need to go kind of mindset and you know i i respected that as well it sounds intimidating yeah i mean you know it's just but it's one of those things they they made you feel real comfortable doing it and you know there was no pressure or anything you just you did what you do i mean you obviously were up there on the stage with them for a reason right they you know they, they knew you can do something so um you know they weren't just putting the average joe blow on the stage and the average joe blow wasn't attempting to go on the stage with so rebels so um you know that's kind of how it happened and you know before you knew it, the position became available and 
you know, they asked me to join the band and it was, it was, you know, pretty, pretty self-explanatory. This was like a, the smoothest transition, you know, that could be. So that's how it happened. I want to ask you guys about Katrina just because it's such a momentous thing for for the city, obviously, but also for music. What happened with the band during that time or the, you know, few months after? Did you guys take off and come back? Did you keep playing together? I mean, what what happened with the band during that time? After that, music was really all we had. And we just put all into it. And it's a blessing, you know, to have come across such beautiful people, beautiful musicians in our group. I'm always blessed for that. And we just had to try to keep it going. You know, we just had to try to keep creating and keep it going because it was tough, but it makes you resilient. It makes you thick-skinned. It, it, it teaches you survival. I mean, all of that at once. So, I mean, like the times we're in now, you have to, you just have to be focused. You know, you have to have an inner strength just like you had to have then to be able to to go on. And I think Katrina, for me personally, it kind of prepared me for somewhat of what I'm experiencing now with the pandemic. But, uh, you know, that you were still able to play after Katrina because Katrina was just New Orleans. So you were still able to play in different parts of the world and in, you know, the U.S., but now it's totally shut down. So... You really have to try to channel your energy into staying creative, but channel it into, you know, other areas to think about things that are, if not as important, just as important as music. Yeah, definitely. After it, uh, that hit, it's like you say, everybody was basically spaced out everywhere. We had guys in Austin, Texas, Cincinnati, uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, Lamar and I, and the original tuba player, Damien, we were in Houston. You just had guys everywhere. I mean, it was definitely a, a real tough experience, you know, not realizing that at the time when it first happened, you really thought it was something that was going to be maybe a week or two, uh, you know, maybe a month, you know. But then I, I remember the time I, I went back to take a trip just to kind of see what the city was looking like. And uh, when I went back, the city wasn't even open yet. All the lights were out. You still had mud from, uh, I guess, the mud that settled from all the flooding. Some areas are still underwater. And I remember calling Lamar up and telling him, man, this is not going to be a, a quick return. I said, this is going to be something that's going to be a while. It was just like, man, it was a scary thing to see. You're riding around the city, seeing cars flipped over. You're riding through neighborhoods. They're so destroyed that you kind of lose your bearing on what area, you know, this talk, you talking about a city you grew up in and you can actually get lost in it because the street is so destroyed, you can't even tell which street you're on. And it's just like the sound when you came through, just that quiet sound, nobody there. It's like you just left the city that was booming with energy, music everywhere, like you're saying, and everything to come to a point where all you see is uh, military trucks and things like that. And it was a scary time, man, to find out, to think, you know, what's next, you know, because first the city as a whole has to build, you know, like you said, now we got musicians all over the place, man. And it was funny, a lot of guys went to Houston. So it was, that was kind of like a, a camaraderie thing. We was able to get together, two brass band members, 
started doing just little gigs and stuff just to kind of get the keep the morale and everything. But it was just a real trying time to kind of figure out what was the next move for the city. And one thing that I think it helped was a lot of people started realizing how fast this music and this whole thing of culture of New Orleans could be going so quick. So I think a lot of people gained a lot of appreciation for it. And I think it, it helped it helped and hurt us, you know, because the hurting was, like you said, it'd be separated from everybody so much. But you found out once after the good thing was everybody was craving for the New Orleans music and to hear New Orleans musicians. So it was like, no matter where you went, you got love. And everybody was like, man, I'm sorry to hear this happen to you guys. Whatever I can do to help, let me know. And it was like, it just was a good thing to see that, you know, people really have love for what you do. You know, you, a lot of times when you're on stage, you're performing really just having fun and stuff like that. But you start learning when stuff like this hap- happens, even like this Corona thing, you realize how much people really depend on what you do for, you know, relief and with the things they're going through in their life, you bring that, you get them away from that. And it's like, you know, you start looking at what you're doing as, you know, this is something I really need to do and start taking more serious and cherish more because a lot of people are dependent on me just like I'm dependent on them to give me the feedback I need from music, you know? So that's one thing Katrina did. It it showed, it took all of that away from you real quick. And it was like, man, when it do come back, we got to treat it much better when it comes back. You know, and it definitely helped for us once we started going on the road. We started seeing more people coming to the shows, showing support for them. So it was definitely a blessing and a curse. Marcus, like something you were saying earlier about just providing an outlet for people, that's definitely something that I think a lot of us music fans are feeling now, you know? Like missing live music is one of the, I mean, there's a lot of sad things about this situation, but not seeing live music for almost a year is definitely up there, you know? Even just walking down to the bar and walking in and seeing a band play cover songs, you know, like anything. How are you guys feeling about being off the road and off the stage right now? Are you taking a little relaxation? Yeah, it's it's two sides to it. You know, it's like you say, we've we've definitely been blessed to be with our families more than we've ever been. You know, so that's a blessing that came out of it. But like I tell people all the time, you got to realize for us, music is our therapy. You know, that's what gets us through whatever we're going through in our personal lives. Plus it's our stress relief for some people that like me, it's my drug of choice, music, you know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely, you know, going through withdrawals and stuff like that. But, you know, just the, the part that's helping and is being able to be with my family more than ever. But I'm definitely, like you said, looking forward to getting back out to the fans and really, uh, you know, doing what we were doing, creating music and, and just vibing with different people. Like you said, we we travel all over the world and meet all kinds of different people, man. That's a, that's a great experience about being a musician. Being on the stage is one thing, but just meeting the different people is the uh, thing that's really the great thing about being a professional musician. Being able to meet people at different spaces and talking to them and telling you, people telling you what their music do for them and stuff like that. So it's like, it's definitely something you miss and I definitely can't wait to get back into doing it.
I want to ask you guys a little bit before we wrap up just about the overlap between the brass band backgrounds you have and hip hop, because I told you about this podcast we did about the Jazz Fest. I talked to Ben Jaffe about one of the Jazz Fest. I guess it was probably the early 80s when Grandmaster Flash came for the first time. And he was saying it was just such a huge deal to have like a hip hop artist on the main stage at Jazz Fest. And that was like a big turning point. And it seems like it took a long time for hip hop and you know, New Orleans music to kind of merge. But Lamar, I know you you were at the kind of forefront of that. Did you see that as something that seemed natural to you or did it take some time to kind of like figure out how to combine these different uh, genres of music? Merging that world in my mind was not hard. And in Soul Rebels, that's really what we did. I mean, we just put on a show and listened to the music and merged the beat. With the, with the horns and the rhythm. And it was, you know, it was kind of organic for myself, but I could see it being something a little challenging for the general population in New Orleans. It definitely took a while for us to actually get to play with a rapper, you know, the band, Soul Rebels, but we had been rapping ourselves and singing and doing different things like that with the brass band style of music from our inception. So it wasn't as hard for me. It's a certain exactness you have to put to it uh, when you play it, even though jazz is, is, you know, for me is one of the most evolutionary music art forms there is highly, for me, it's a highly intellectual music, but when you try to do something with rap and with lyrics, it's a certain exactness sometimes that has to take place, especially in a hip hop form or in an R&B form. And that thing had already, the groundwork for that had been laid for for myself at a younger age. So I really had to learn more of the jazz side. I often talk with the guys about it because I'm fascinated with jazz. You know, once I started learning about it, you know, more of the history part, you know, and what it entails, I, I always, you know, ask questions and stuff about it. Jazz is a very complete, sophisticated art form. It's very underappreciated, especially in America, and it's the only true American art form. And I wish more people would get into it. I wish more people would listen to it, and then you'll learn to appreciate it more. But the hip-hop and, and, and the folk stuff I had already been doing, you know, that's kind of James Brown, style when they started sampling you know a lot of the james brown beats and and the, and the guy from his band and then it went to the you know more aggressive electrical stuff we had already been doing that so it was a little bit more organic for myself you guys did the tiny desk concert with jizza a couple of years ago which was really awesome because that was like a great combo i think of of horns and hip-hop that was just really cool to see but you guys have collaborated with like hundreds of musicians and bands. I mean, everyone from like Katy Perry to every hip hop artist to Pretty Lights and Metallica, Marilyn Manson. And I couldn't even name all the hip hop artists you've collaborated with. But is that an extension of kind of the New Orleans vibe of collaboration? Or have you guys been doing that intentionally to kind of like keep pushing your music into other areas? Well, I'd like to say for us, it's always been that the uh, hip-hop vine has always been in there. So for us, we always felt like, you know, that 
you got to look at hip hop has always been sampling horns and sampling old jazz records and old funk records and stuff like that. So for us, we kind of felt like it was something that should have probably happened already, you know, but it was like a natural progression on, you know, where our career was going and stuff like that. So that's something that we've always been open to doing, but seemed like more of the opportunities have been presenting itself. You know, you've always had artists from New Orleans collaborating with maybe an R&B singer or something like that, but seemed like that that hip hop connection was something that took a little longer to happen. And uh, but like you said, we just looked at it as hip hop always loved horns anyway from the beginning. So it was like, why not go to the city where jazz is birth and put the two together? And like you said, when Soul Rebel started, we were from that natural hip hop vine. So it was like, we figured it was something that was going to eventually happen. You know, like you said, we had been rapping on the first record. So it wasn't nothing new for us. It just was the only thing that was different for us. It was, wasn't somebody in the band rapping. It was actually a, a popular artist. You know, we basically did what we do regular, you know, and it just worked out. Out of all those collaborations you guys have done, is there one that sticks out for each of you or one that comes to mind as particularly memorable? Uh, I would say probably all of them for me have different things. Like uh, we always talk about the Marilyn Manson thing, just to collaborate with something you would not, that was something you would never think would probably come together, us, Metallica and Marilyn Manson. And just the, the thing that I love about the collaborations, you really get to talk to them and find out who these people are really as, as a person, you know, and you find out, man, these guys are really just good people. And it kind of view music from the same area, you know, the view that you view it from it. So it's kind of good to see that they see things the same way you see it. And you kind of find like some kinship for as musician to musician. So, you know, all of them have like a special space, you know, like for me, just growing up in hip hop, my first cassette tape was Eric B and Rakim paid full. So just to be able to get on stage with Rakim, you know, that was definitely a dream come true. You know, for me, it's just like you say, just being able to connect with people, you you know, you've been looking up to and been listening to for years. That's the great thing about it. Lamar, is it fair to ask you that question? I don't know. You Maybe you've had too many. You can't answer that. Uh... Oh, they're all special. They're all memorable and have special, you know, place in my heart because each experience has its own life. And it's a, a beautiful piece in the puzzle and the journey, as I say. So they're all powerful. I mean, all of them from the beginning and, and continue on. It's too many to name. <laughs> they're all powerful. They're all awesome musicians. And like Marcus always says, and, and Julian too, that we've never really met no one who wasn't a you know a bad person, you know, like or, or act too uppity or Hollywoodish or whatever you want to say. We we never have experienced that. Everyone has been good and I guess once musician to musician, that's all we have between us. So we've been totally blessed. Julian, I won't make you answer that question unless you want to add something on the collaborations, any of them that stick out. Yeah, Nas was my favorite. Nas was your favorite? Yeah, that's my favorite MC. So I was super excited to perform with Nas. City. 
Can you guys tell me about the song Down For My City, which is from the, the your 2019 album, how that came together? Because I think that's a cool example of, of kind of the collaboration you guys have done on, on an album. Can you just tell us a little bit about that track? Uh, yeah. So the Down For My City song was kind of uh, owed a shout out to the city of New Orleans. If typically or historically, if you go back and um, check out any Soul Rebel records, we always try to pay homage to the city, you know, that we all know and love. Um, so that was the more current version of that. Um, it's kind of a spin off one of the old Hot Boy records, We On Fire, you know, with the concept of having, you know, one artist come in for a few bars, then another artist come in for a few bars. So mathematically, it all made sense to have two verses since there are eight members in the band and we got eight features. So we just kind of sprayed them out throughout the verses. Uh, we got we hooked up with our guy from Partners in Crime. Um, he came up with a with a catchy hook. We got some some kids in a local youth choir to sing along with the hook to make it a little bit more fun. You know, we put it we put it in a major key so it can be a little bit on the happier side. Something everybody can dance to. Um, you know, it's just it's just everybody's feelings and thoughts about the city you know if you listen to the song everyone says what the city is to them you know and, and pretty much in a nutshell so everybody has a chance to reflect on what the city means to them what represents the city to them what the city is to them um so yeah that's kind of how it came about um it was a, a collaborative effort between the band and maddie fresh so i mean back to the cash money reference it, it kind of just made sense to um, pay homage to the hot boys and uh, cash money. So, um, yeah, it's kind of how it happened. And, you know, it's a, it's a fun tune. Last question. How are you guys thinking about the future, getting back on the road? Are you excited about getting back out there? Are you working on new tunes? Like what's been going on during this time when we're all kind of just sitting around at home? I think we're excited. Uh, definitely, you know, definitely you you look for the day when the band can get back to, you know, doing what it loves to do and, and spreading the love to the world. But we have, we realistic, you know, about it. I mean, you can't put crowds of people together and that's what tours entail. I mean, we're definitely looking forward to when that atmosphere is safe and able to be, you know, properly done. We don't know what, what the future holds as far as how they're going to mediate that type of environment. But we're always creating, you know, whether individually or collectively, each band member is so talented and has their their own projects plus the Soul Rebel project. So we're always creating music. Like Marcus said, I mean, I'm married to kids. I mean, they're older, they're grown, but it's been good being able to be home for such long periods of time, whereas Marcus and I, you know, we travel every week, even when the band is not on the road, it's still a travel day for Marcus and myself because we have to go to New Orleans and perform. So, I mean, I haven't had a Thanksgiving off. I don't think, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I've been actually at my house to celebrate the evenings of, of Thanksgiving with my family. So. I'm excited to be able to be home. It's going to be small, you know, just me, my wife, and my youngest son. But that's one thing, being able to be home 
with my family. I love that, but I miss the band so much, just the energy and the love and brotherhood that we share. When we get together and do these little gigs that we've been doing, you know, it's so surreal and impactful because we haven't been together. So I cherish it even more, but definitely we're going to be looking to put out more music, you know, do another record and just keep creating, you know, just keep creating. Uh, everybody I'm sure is, has a whole lot of material and ideas. And along with the management, we've just been, you know, constantly putting things together and looking toward the future. So we'll see what goes on. You know, everybody's still, <laughs> I'm sure with this last election too, that's a whole lot of stuff there. So we kind of been on a whole lot of waves since the pandemic. But as far as for Soul Rebels, we're looking to continue to save the world through music. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. This has been fun. I appreciate all three of you taking time to, to talk with us. Thank you, man. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking your time, man. I hope to see you guys out there at some point, hopefully in New Orleans or somewhere else. Most definitely. All right, guys. Have a good night. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Take it easy. Thank you. Good see y'all. Roll. Roll. <laughs> Peace. And now, live from New Orleans, Soul Rebels. Let's see what we can do.
Executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love.